0: Welcome to Through the Bible. As we've been traveling through what our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, calls the mountaintops of 2 Corinthians, we've been talking about the amazing comfort of God. Well, today, we're going to continue that discussion as we come to chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. I'm Steve Schwetz, inviting you to hop aboard the Bible bus for a very special message from the Apostle Paul. So as you open your Bible and you find your place, I want to share a few letters that we've recently received. First, we hear from Jack in Fullerton, California. What a joy it is to begin each day with Dr. McGee. At age 66, my oldest son led me to the Lord on a men's bicycle trip with his church. Now, at age 90, my day always begins with the letters and lessons from the Bible bus. It all began 19 years ago when I heard the man with the funny southern accent that had so much wisdom to share. Each morning, my wife and I would greet the day with you. She went to heaven on February thirteenth, 2017. My wonderful daughter now takes her place at the table. All the fruits are abundant in these studies, and Peter teaches that we should add to our faith virtue and knowledge. You sure hit home runs on that one. Right now, my daughter and I are in Acts, and we are learning more and more each day. All the family knows how important you are to our legacy. I look forward to joining my wife and meeting Dr. McGee in person. Please use this contribution to help spread the word throughout the whole world. Well, that's a great letter. Thank you so much, Jack, and your entire family. It's such a joy to have you on the Bible bus with us. And thank you for your generosity as well, because that helps keep God's word rolling through your neighborhood as well as more than 200 languages in nearly every country of the world. Well, if you'd like to join Jack, me, and other faithful listeners by providing a tank of gas or a spare tire to keep this old Bible bus moving along, then we'd sure love to have you partner with us. You can visit anytime at ttb.org forward slash give or call us at one 800 bible for more information. Now last, we got a note from a listener named Saeed. Greetings in the name of Jesus. I am a new believer who was formerly in the Islamic faith. I came by your website while browsing for sermons to download. I'm so grateful for the many downloadable booklets and messages you make available. I've started to make my way through them and am learning a lot. May God bless you as you share the good news. Well, thanks for your note, Saeed, and I'm glad that you found our website as well. And you know, you're right. There are so many great resources that are located there. And the best part is so many of them are available for free, including Dr. McGee's booklet on 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 called Gifts of the Spirit, How and Why to Use Yours. To access Dr. McGee's booklets, messages and other Bible study materials, just visit TTB.org or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can help you locate something. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, only you can make the blind see and the deaf hear. As your word goes out today, please direct your spirit to do just that, to open the eyes and ears and hearts and minds to the glory that is found in our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's go now to Dr. J. Vernon McGee with our study of 2 Corinthians 3 on Through the Bible.
1: Our friend, 2 Corinthians keeps us on the mountain top, and it's very difficult for me to breathe up there, and if you have not found Second Corinthians, a very wonderful book so far. It's because I've miserably failed, and I recognize that I have not been able to go to the heights each time. Just, you know, we're dragged down, I guess. But this is a glorious, wonderful book, and may the Spirit of God make it real to us. Now, will you notice in this particular section, because it is so wonderful, and I left off at verse 11, he says, "...for if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious." He's making a contrast between the law, the giving of the law, and this day of grace in which we live, and even the giving of the law was glorious." Now, what does he have reference to here when he speaks of the fact? Here he says, seeing then, verse 12, that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. And now, what is he having reference to? There are two things here I'd like to call your attention to. First of all, we need to recognize that there was a first giving and a second giving of the law. Now, when Moses went to the top of the mount, God gave him the tables of stone. And God gave those tables, and he himself wrote the law. Now, that was the law that these people were to live by and actually be saved by or be judged by. Now, while he was up there, the children of Israel broke the first two laws. Thou shall have no other God before me. And Moses himself had to say, I exceedingly fear and quake. And it was a very strict rigid law. It was eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, burning for burning, cutting for cutting, and it was absolute, intrinsic righteousness and holiness. Whatever a man actually deserved, according to that law, he was to receive it. Now, these people are breaking it. What's going to happen? God says, get down there. When Moses got down, And he could see in a distance what the children of Israel had done. Breaking the first two, he didn't dare bring those tables of stone into the camp. Why? Why? The entire nation of Israel would have been blotted out at that very moment. They would have been judged because the breaking of those laws meant instant death. What did Moses do? He took those laws and smashed them. Then he went into the camp. No use taking nose in. It meant the extermination. Now, when he went back to the top, why, we see that something has happened. And the thing that has happened is that God now is tempering the law with mercy and with grace. And what is happening? Well, the thing that is happening is this, that now at the very heart of the Mosaic system, there's to be a tabernacle. And there is to be a sacrificial system given. And that will be the basis of the approach of these people to God, which is without shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. But without holiness, no man's going to see God. Well, how in the world are we going to get into his presence? Well, God will have to make a way for us. And God made a way. And therefore, that is the thing that we have reference to here. But when Moses came down, and let me tell you, it was a glorious, wonderful thing now that he's come down with the second commandments. And in it, the law, which was a ministration of condemnation. And it's called also a ministration of righteousness. And it demands righteousness of man, and man was unable to produce it of himself. And now we find here that there is grace. And this is the thing that Paul later on found, a man under the law who persecuted Jesus Christ. And then he said that I might be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now, here is a ministration of glory indeed. And that is the glorious gospel. Now, I want you to notice what he's talking about here. The law was glorious. It had made a way of salvation. And we are told here that it's the glorious gospel. And that's a wonderful thing that it's called. And elsewhere... We hear of the blessed God. Well, actually, it means the happy God. And what is it that makes God happy? Well, the thing that makes God happy is that He's a lover of man. He wants to save them. And we are told in Micah seven eighteen, He delighteth in mercy, and that judgment is His strange work. And the reason is He delights in mercy, and He has no pleasure. He says in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. God wants to save. And the thing that makes him happy, we have a happy God. What a glorious picture that you have here. Now, will you notice this? When Moses came down the second time, there's joy in his heart. And his face shone now that there is a way for the children of Israel through the sacrificial system. Now, let me make this very clear again that the veil that was put on his face, that Moses put on, it was not because his face was shining so that they couldn't look at him. It was because that glory was beginning to fade away, you see. It was a glorious thing, but it began to fade away. And what happens here? Well, their minds were blinded until this day. The remaineth the same veil untaken away on the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. Now, what he's saying here is that veil that Moses wore is now on the minds of God's ancient people. And it's on there because of the fact that these people actually don't see that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness and that he is the fulfillment of it, and the blindness is there. Now, we're going to find out when we get down a little farther in the next chapter that the God of this world hath blinded the mind of those that don't believe, and we're going to see why when we get down there. But now let me move on. Paul says here that he had such a hope and that we use great plainness of speech. Now, the gospel had brought to Paul a great hope, a confidence, so that we can boldly say that the Lord is my helper and the Lord is my salvation and that someday we're to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Somebody says, my, you must think you're mighty good. Oh, no, I'm a mighty sinner if you want to know the truth. But the confidence comes through the... Glorious gospel that has brought a hope now to man. And Paul says because of that, he uses great plainness of speech. Now he's going to talk a little in the next chapter about we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And Paul, as he came preaching the gospel, he made it very clear. He said, I didn't come to you with excellency of speech. I determined not to know anything among you Corinthians, but just Jesus Christ and him crucified. I wish today in our seminaries and our Bible schools, we could get back to the time when we depended on the Spirit of God and not methods or our cleverness and our ability. And we just depended on the Word of God to do the work of God. Oh, today, all the little clever gimmicks that are being used to get people to put up their hands, to get them to sign a card, to get them to come forward to do something. Oh, my friend, we just only learn to use plainness of speech. Just give it as it is. And that is the thing that is important. Now, we come again to this statement Moses put a veil on his face. The glory was departed, And their minds were blinded, the veil on them. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. When they read the law, they actually think maybe they're able to keep it. And they feel like that maybe they'll be able to merit it. But you're going to find out, friends, that even in the Old Testament, There was not that confidence that you would expect or should be in the hearts and minds of God's people. Why, you find that even David was perplexed. And David raised some questions, and Job was absolutely in utter bewilderment. And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, and he wept and sobbed, and he didn't understand. But may I say to you, this is a day when the feeblest, weakest saint who trusts Jesus, he has the absolute assurance of his perfect acceptance with God. Now, he moves on. He says, but even unto this day, when Moses is red, the veil is upon the heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now, the Lord is that spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And friends, only the Spirit of God can lift the veil today and help us to see that Christ is the Savior. And he alone, and as a result, my friend, he's the one and the only one. And only the Spirit of God can make that real. And Paul is talking to his people in that day, as Simon Peter did, Simon Peter says to him, that is to the Lord Jesus, give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. And friends, if you don't see the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, believe me, the Spirit of God's not your teacher, because the Spirit of God takes the things of Christ and shows them unto us. Now, will you notice, and when the Spirit of God, he brings you into the place of liberty. He doesn't put you under law. He delivers you from law and brings you to Christ. And when he does, will you notice this? But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, this is a very wonderful passage of Scripture here. And it's been, I think, abused today a great deal. And as a result, why, we find there are those that take a position that it's more or less if they will only turn to Christ, then if they will behold Him and look to Him, then they will be able to witness Well, I'm not sure that that's the thing that's here. May I say to you, I think that he's talking very candidly about something else that I believe is very important here. And he's been talking now about the gospel is veiled. Now the veil is taken away and we're looking upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And the thing that will keep us even today is sin in our lives. But we are to look to him here. And when we look to him, here is what we have. The Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all with unveiled face, reflecting. Now, the word here in the revised version is reflecting. But very candidly, I think the authorized that we have here is much better. "...beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord." The idea is not that of reflection in order to transform, but rather that of beholding until transformed. And then we can reflect. And I think it should be, "...we're beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord." We're transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord... The Spirit. Now, may I say that I have before me today the Amplified Version. And Miss Stewart, who did this, she and I, she lived here in Southern California, up here in Sierra Madre. And when she was alive, well, she and I carried on a very, I would say, friendly battle. Because she would hear me on the radio refer to her Amplified translation. And I would question some things. Well, may I say to you, Miss Stewart was a brilliant woman. And I want to be very frank and say, I lost most of the battles, those friendly battles. But one or two of them I won. I know two of them I did. And one of them has to do with this verse. And I want to read it to you in the amplified version. And it reads, And all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continued to behold in the word of God as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now may I say to you, I think that is excellent, but I don't like the word transfigured here. Only the Lord Jesus is transfigured. And the Word of God is the mirror that we are to look at. That is true. But as we look at the mirror, the Word of God, you see what is happening here is just simply, is it's not reflection in order to transfigure or transform. And I don't like transfigure. Only the Lord Jesus was transfigured. And I've never seen a saint yet that I thought had been transfigured. But it's that of beholding, just looking at him. That's the reason we need to stay in the Word of God and behold the Lord Jesus. And as you behold him, may I say to you, you're transformed by that. In other words, the Word of God not only regenerates you, and we are only regenerated by the Spirit of God using the Word of God, we are born again, not by corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Of the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. Now the word of God does something else. And this is where saints. Oh, the reason I'm putting such an emphasis today here. This is so important. I hope it's important to you. I found it's important now to me. And I wished I'd spent more time looking in the mirror, beholding him more. Oh, my friend, in the word of God, we sin. He's not a superstar; he's not just a man, oh my friend, in the word of God, you see the unveiled Christ. Oh, how wonderful he is! Dr. Ironside tells about an old Scot that lay suffering and actually dying, and the physician had told him he wouldn't last very long, and a friend who uh, apparently was his pastor, he came in to spend a little time with him. And he said to him, he says, they tell me you'll not be with us long. That's a nice thing to say to a man. But he said also, I hope you got a wee glimpse of the Savior's blessed face as you're going through the valley of the shadow. And the dying man looked up and he regained a little strength. And he says, away with the glimpse, mon. It's a full view of his blessed face. I've had these 40 years And I'll not be satisfied with any of your glimpses now. Well, may I say to you how wonderful this is. Oh, to behold him today. Behold the man in full view. Today, I'm sure many of you remember Nathaniel Hawthorne's story about the great stone face. Remember the little lad that lived in a village where there was a mountain and there was a great stone face up there. And the people had a myth going, a legend, that some someone would be coming to the village who just looked like the great stone face. And he'd do wonderful things for the village and be a means of great blessing. Well, that story, you know, got a hold of that lad. And he spent his whole lifetime, oh, every waking moment, that he didn't have something to do just looking at that stone face. Oh, he said, someday someone will come. And years passed, and time went by, and he became not only a young man, but he became an old man, and tottering down the street one day, someone looked up and saw him coming, and he said, he's come, the one who's like the great stone face. Well, this man had beheld the great stone face so long. Now, listen to me in closing. You want to be Christ-like? All right. Take a look at Jesus. Dr. Louis Chafer used to, in chapel, when we'd sing that song, take time to be holy, speak off with thy Lord. He'd always stop us and he'd say, change that first line. Let us sing it. Take time to behold him. You want to be holy? Behold him then. May I say to you, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I need this. I hope you sense a need of seeing Jesus Christ on the pages of the Word of God, and that you and I might grow like it. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved.
0: What an important message. If you'd like to listen to it again or share it with a friend, visit ttb.org, or you can call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can help you partner with Through the Bible in taking the whole word to the whole world. Again, that's one 800 bible Or write to us at Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. Next time, we continue our study of God's comfort in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll be here saving a seat on the Bible bus just for you.
1: Jesus'
0: Our journey on the Bible bus today is supported by the prayers and gifts of fellow passengers as we travel through the Bible.